This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. tuning into Power Athlete Radio. This week, John and Tex tackle some of the buzz surrounding the ongoing Toes Forward controversy. Does this mean you never vary your stance? What about unilateral lifts? What role do they play in improving performance and how might you implement them into your existing program? If there is a TMZ for strength and conditioning shit that no one cares about, we are on it. The Power Athlete crew explains some of the butt hurt that has occurred as a result of the release of a floor press demo video from a CrossFit football seminar. How and why to coach up the floor press and how to perfect some of the cues for any athlete. I softball some of the questions for the fellows in this episode and as per usual, their answers are long-winded and coupled with stories from the NFL. It's just the entertainment and knowledge you'd expect from this crew. Here's episode 160. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the world's premier podcast in strength and conditioning, Power Athlete Radio. We have Tess, we have John, we have me, Callie, and we're going to talk, we're going to talk shop today. We're going to talk toes forward controversy, which I didn't know there was one because... Well, it's because uh, nobody understands biomechanics, and uh, they're all fucked up. So we're going to hopefully set So, so uh, did somebody recently inquire about this? I know this is sort of like an ongoing controversy. Um, at least it was at the seminars. We get a lot of questions about it. But, you know, for the, for the most part, it's nothing new. It's nothing new to our repertoire. Yeah, we're just seeing it come up more and more in the, the internet interwebs facebook's where else have you seen it well uh, russell berger engaged a, a little fiery post in that he made a comment about at the crossfit games not seeing anybody squatting with the toes forward movement uh pattern and um russell berger never heard of him uh, never never heard of him either uh <laughs> so he he, he kind of made a little inflammatory post and then ant tapped me in on it and the thing which is kind of confusing to me is I think people are confusing toes forward with the idea of driving the knees out past the toe box. Um, you know, so problem becomes, uh, you know, Kelly Starrett, uh, you know, puts out, uh, you know, a, a lot of toes forward stuff. But what we really talk about is more not necessarily driving the knees outside the toe box. We always, always want to drive the knees out, but we need that knee to track over the instep. And if you go back, I can show you hundreds of pictures of really good athletes, and I forward text uh, a picture of, and we'll make it available, of uh, the girl that won across the games last year. Was it uh, Katarina David's daughter? Um, I know I'm messing up her first name, but um, she had a great overhead squat where, you know, her toes were not necessarily straight ahead, but certainly toes out, but her, her knees were on the inside of her, uh, right over her insteps, and she was in an incredible position. And I forwarded it to these guys, and I was like, dude, this is really what we've been searching for. And I think, uh, you know, when we're talking about toes forward, we're talking about teaching a movement pattern that we know is most beneficial for sport performance. Right. And I, a, a more, a stronger, more powerful position. 
But the problem becomes when you start driving your knees out so far outside the outs, uh, you know, outside the foot, and you kind of create that, um, you know, I mean, it's just. I think what people are having problems with is not necessarily the toes forward. It's the knee position and the position of the knee in relationship to the hip and the foot. Yeah. And also what they're doing is they're just uh, taking their foot position and applying the toes forward thought to that. So we also know that at cross football seminar, we teach a wider width kind of uh, to mimic the athletic position. So when we say toes forward, we also are applying to a wider width. Well, I mean, we would always like our athletes to squat at least shoulder width. And anybody that's been to the seminar that's actually listening to this lecture will, will, will know that we've had a lot of people come in and we have you squat a bunch of times. And you know this too. But uh, all of a sudden, somebody will show you by driving their toes out after about 10 different squats, kind of their more natural position. And all we do is just kind of inch the heel out, have you squat again, and just end up allowing people to find a natural stance or position that's most comfortable for them. And, you know, we talk about the universal athletic position and really why we're using it. I, um, I get a lot of frequent questions to talk to me, Johnny and Raven at Power Athlete HQ and Raven will respond to them uh, when she's in the mood. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one of the ones I got recently was this guy who said, uh, will this style of training make me more athletic? I, you know, I like to play a lot of sports, but I primarily play basketball. Will this help me become athletic? And normally I just kind of hit this, you know, Fordham a link or something, but I actually asked him, I'm like, you know, um, uh, you know, sending an arbitrary email to an innocuous website asking for questions or asking for information like this, more akin to the Greeks going to the Oracle at Delphi and asking for a uh, prediction of the future. Mm-hmm. I was like, what are you hoping to get out? You didn't tell me anything. Um, you didn't provide me any information. Nothing. You just are asking, will this make me a better athlete? I'm like, you know, any program, if done properly, will include athleticism or will uh, increase athleticism if you have nothing to begin with. If you're already a high-level athlete, then the program has to be detailed. And much like the movements, like, uh, can you get fit? Uh, can you get fit squatting? Yes, 100%. Does it matter how you squat? No. You just are trying to get fit, so you're looking at just doing more than you did before. Can you get fit with the toes out? Yes. Can you get fit, fit with the toes forward? Yes. All of those things, uh, you know, just basically doing the movement pattern, whether it's good or bad, will theoretically make you more fit based off of the increased work faster over time over domains. Well, and John, you, t- you actually touched on something pretty interesting about, like, use the word comfortable, and I think it was you who said comfortable. And, you know, I think a big part of it, too, is I got wrangled into doing, what is that workout that's like 150 wall balls? Well, certainly for that duration, and based on the way you hold a ball and sort of your positioning, it's it, for, that, for that number of repetitions and that amount of volume, you're going to try to eliminate some of the weaker factors, which might be lower upper back situation and get into a position where you can stay more vertical, which in in CrossFit, when you're dealing with a lot of volume, you're going to go into a position that allows that. And a lot of times for people, um, that's going to be a toes out sort of chest up uh, posture, if that makes sense. Well, if you open your toes up and you like, let's say you turn your toes out, technically that will unlock your hips and be able to squat easier. We see a lot of people with tight hips or people that don't have, you know, great flexibility of more active range of motion in their, you know, not only their hip flexors, but their glutes and their quads and their hamstrings. And actually by opening the toes up, you will increase the mechanical advantage and be able to squat deeper. But the problem becomes, is that the most efficient position for sport performance? No, we know it's not. 
we've demonstrated this over and over again. So what you're effectively doing is doing hundreds of reps of a movement pattern that we know is the least effective position for sport performance in terms of change of direction, running, sprinting, and doing just about everything that we do in terms of, uh, you know, field sport athletes. Yeah. Creating power. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea of creating internal hip torque and, um, you know, I mean, these, these are just, you know, like not only we demonstrated this, but we can put our hands in you and show you within seconds what's the most efficient deal. Now, uh, if you're talking about, you know, if you're, you know, uh, too, you know, the circumference of the waist is too big, you can't do it, or you're having something that you have to work around, then obviously you make corrections. But if we're talking about training somebody by using barbell type movements or barbell basic lifts for sport performance, then really the goal isn't to be you know, like maximal weight. It's not for you to, uh, you know, be the best squatter. It's for you to do the best movement pattern that we know that is carryover to your given use. Yeah. And so we've actually found points that are necessary for carryover. So transfer of training, it, it breaks down to three, three important pieces. And the first is going to be internal structure. So that's muscle action. So if you look at our athletic position that we teach and, um, summation of force from that position it's force production and force reduction second is called external structure so your setup in order for that movement to carry over to your athletic position we have to kind of mimic that to the best of our abilities in training and last but not least like Callie talked about is rate of force development so if your sport is going to demand violent hip extension over and over then we have to train like that uh, so without those three things, then there will be zero carryover, no matter what the number on the bar says. And to another point that, that John talked about limiting factors, we don't want to work around anything. If we are squatting toes forward and you can't get to, you know, said depth, then we're identifying what you can't do. And the moment that you have to call upon that onto the field, the court, the rank, whatever it is, you will fail. So we're not going to work around that for a number or to get from point A to point B or do 150 of anything. So I've got a question then. Um, and, I, you know, I already, I already have kind of my opinion on this, but you're going to probably tell me, depending on what the athlete's training for, with this how we're going to switch up their position. But imagine you have an athlete and then usually lankier athletes, I'll find this is the situation where um, to go toes forward, they actually have to squat more narrow maybe than I'd like. Um, and it's sometimes to go, if you're going to take them out a little bit wider for whatever reason, you know, the, the angle starts to rotate out. If you're going to pick the lesser of the evils, would you rather have the athlete get a wide base or a more toe sport position in a narrow stance? Uh, you know, ideally, um, you know, What's been what's kind of interesting is that's kind of contrary to what I've seen is a lot of people really struggle to squat toes forward with a narrow stance and actually are much better at it when they actually widen their stance and drive their knees out. What we've seen people do with a narrow stance with toes forward is they end up driving their knees out of the way and then that basically ends up driving the knees outside the outside of the foot or outside the toe box and then we get into that very kind of unnatural position. I mean, you know, the idea is that if you could get somebody to squat toes forward narrow stance with their knees tracking over their insteps, then that's pretty good. I mean, that's actually really good, uh, uh, not only good strength, 
but also really good mobility. Um, you know, and we have seen uh, a fair, you know a decent amount of people be able to do it, but in terms of a general, very few people are actually able to maintain that position. Yeah, so a lot of people squat toes forward narrow, but they end up driving their knees so far outside they end up kind of rolling over on the outside of their feet, lifting their big toe off the ground, and then they're just in a really shit position. Uh, or they just end up sacrificing depth because their back can't handle that that leaned position. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if uh, it's funny, uh, uh, people really argue about you know high bar, low bar, and this, and and uh, the comment that I made on that Facebook page with Russell Berger, and I and I actually made it to Peter Levitt, who uh, made a comment about you know he didn't he hates the low bar squat, and I was like, why? He's like, well, you know, and he, he gave all these uh, you know Baker esque responses to that <laughs> and, uh, and those of you guys know baker know what that means and um because you can't drink a damn kill cliff from that position john <laughs> well yeah you can't butt chug a, 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 a <laughs> but uh, you know the problem becomes is that the high bar and the low bar and the position of the bar is just one small piece of that uh, you know of the uh uh you know, almost like the uh, equation, if you want to say, like like the combination we have in terms of how to unlock somebody's good squat. So what I know is I know what your squat should look like. Now it's up to me to not only pick a foot position, a bar position, uh, you know, stance width, a hand width, all the other key factors so that I can get you into the best squat position that you've seen uh, or that, that I've seen. And more importantly, allow you to be the most athletic you can be. And everybody's going to be slightly different because everybody has a different anthropometrical ratio. And, uh, you know, having, you know, and, and this just isn't some theoretical bullshit that I cooked up with seeing four people in a gym. I mean, not only did I own a commercial gym, but we literally traveled the world over the last seven years, taught hundreds of seminars and taught thousands of people to squat well and done it in a short amount of time because we have just small little things that we can adjust based on the individual to help them create what we call the you know a, a universal athletic position or just more uh, you know power athlete cross a football type squat and so if people get really stuck in these you know uh, you, you know want to throw a stake in the ground and be like high bar low bar and I'm like dude I just want you to squat well and there's also been uh, times where people have come in and not done what we wanted but yet squat really beautifully and I look at it and people are like well what about this I'm like dude just take a step back. And realize that uh, as a coach, sometimes you have to actually undercoach. If somebody has it, dude, and, I, and like, like there's people that uh, might not have the exact hand position I want, maybe not the exact foot position or, or width, or you know, uh, maybe everything is not as I would want it, but they do it really well. And at that point, you just take a step back and you let them go. And then people freak out. I'm like, dude, at the end of the day, I'm not focused on the fucking components as much as I am on the finished product. And if I can get you squatting well and it looks great and it might not be perfect, my ego isn't so big that I have to force you to do shit. Um, you know, and like, uh, you know, it's something that Rip and I argued about, you know, Rip teaches his method. I'm like, well, what if somebody squats well and they don't do your method? He's like, oh, no, no, everybody has to squat as I want. And I'm like, dude, at the end of the day, man, like your ego can't be so big, you know? Well, and that's powerlifting too, you know? as opposed to like sports performance and would there ever be a time do you think in someone's training let's say they squat toes forward for a really long time have a good base level of strength um you know would there ever be a time where you would alter their their stance uh even if they were a field sport athlete um i've never seen anybody go to a toes forward uh that didn't legitimately tell me i feel stronger out of the bottom than somebody that didn't now 
um, you know, let's say you have some form of impingement or you can't do it, or frankly, you know, like if uh, you're a guy that comes in and you squat 800 pounds raw and you want to squat with your feet out, I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, go for it. Like if that's what it is, but don't tell me that that position is going to be the most advantageous position for you in terms of sport and performance. Mm-hmm. You know that you're effectively not only loading the body, loading the central nervous system, loading the tissue, muscle memory, all those other key factors, you know, and if you believe in the 10,000 hours, you know, you're putting hundreds of reps in a movement pattern that we know is not advantageous for sport performance. Mm-hmm. So with the belt squat, which is, I know something you guys have been experimenting for a little while. Do you have uh, thoughts on positioning in that? I know we're going to advocate same wide stance, same toes forward position, but what other factors come into play there that, that might cause someone to try and deviate from that? Uh, the belt squat's an interesting tool. Um, in that all the loading is around the waist. And the one thing that's most interesting is all the force and all the, all the uh, um, you know, I, I guess you could say the, the weight, but actually the inertia or the, uh, you know, because it's really pulling you to the ground is what yeah. it's doing. It feels fucked up. Well, but what it does <laughs> doesn't mean it's wrong. Is no. It, it, is it pulls you from the waist. And the thing is, is as you squat, if you don't continue to drive your hips back, and more importantly, if you don't stay active or you don't, you know, you relax or you really lose tension in the hamstrings, what it'll effectively do is pull your hips underneath you and you'll get into that weird pooping dog position. Yeah. And uh, I, I know when we first got the belt squat, I had Chelsea, I had um, uh, Amanda, uh, I think uh, Nate, uh, Nate, I think I, and I, I think you too, Callie. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, those girls, Chelsea and Amanda, and I know it was uh, Ben DeGrassi, um, they all got on there and not a single one of them could get out of the hole with the belt squat. Yeah. It's one, one of the things I, I'm just going to and then I'll text straight to you. But one of the things that's funny that you mentioned typically, John is, is that if you start in a shitty position in a squat, it's, it's virtually impossible to recoup in the middle of the mechanics and the belt, no, no other machine or, you know, uh, apparatus that I've seen that as true as with the belt squat. If you start in a shitty unsupported position, you'll get buried. Well, well, the thing is, is uh, as you squat, if your knees come forward too far, mm-hmm. it'll basically pull your hips. You almost have to stay active and really kind of almost drive your hips back. And the analogy we started using is like, let's say you're at the club and some dude's freaking up on you, Tex, and you want to drive all back up in him. You know, you're <laughs> going to put, you're going to push those hips back up into that big old guy. So wow. like that position, you know, and that, that analogy actually made sense to Amanda, but not Chelsea. <laughs> I was, oh, I, I get that. I, get that. <laughs> I was like, Amanda knew exactly what we were talking about. Chelsea, no idea. Yeah. Didn't, didn't know how to back that up. But uh, but you can't hide in a belt squat. No. And so, I mean, we, even with our, in terms of posterior chain dominance, and then with our toes forward power athlete squat, if you want to call it that, we are asking our athletes to squat with a posterior chain dominance than quad dominance. So sure. the athletes that are quad dominant, Cali, and they they find it's it feels weird, or they can't do it. Yeah. yeah. But it's just uh, again identifying a limiting factor. And if you default to your quads on the field, you're going to get your ass pulled over. Well, what what we even notice too is where you set up in relationship to the pulley is even more hilarious. Yes. So if you actually uh, we, we, when we saw this, people that moved forward to the pulley could actually, uh, that were more quad dominant could do it when all of a sudden we had them squat on the back of the, uh, uh, of the platform where the, you know, 
probably the cables at like a 45 degrees. Right. Dude, the minute that they hit the bottom, instantly pooping dunk. Yeah. And I was like, uh, so much so, I, ironically, that I saw this, I mean, because, um, I mean, it's probably because I'm uh, actually non-quad dominant. I don't squat with any quad. Uh, and as I saw a bunch of people do it, I actually called Louie, and I was like, Louie, I, I was like, dude, this belt squat thing is just fucking turning these people into tacos. And he laughed. He's like, uh, the only people that get tacoed are those that don't know how to use their hamstrings and yes. don't know how to drive back with, with their glutes. And he's like, uh, so his his fix was, I want you to get a pad. Like, uh, I, I want you to have them squat till they touch a pad and then come back off and almost do like a pause box squat off of the off hmm. the, the deal to teach them not only to load and touch, but not to relax. Because what they end up trying to do is do it like a normal squat and try to get a bounce. Whereas if you try to like get like kind of that, um, like any type of, I guess you could say like kind of lax bounce out of the bottom that she'll talk of you. Yeah. It's amazing. It's such an amazing tool. So um, so that Kelly bought one and it's the only thing she has in her apartment. That's it. That's it. I hang my laundry on it. It's just a really rock collection on top. Just you walk in and people are like, do you have a couch? Like, no, I just have a belt squat. Are you ready? No. Saving up for reverse hyper. Uh, that, that would be so awesome if in your partner uh, apartment it was a reverse hyper, a belt squat. Yep. Uh, and, and then that's it. And a, and a telescope. So you can see your, <laughs> you can just see your victims coming. You're like, I got you. <laughs> just the creepiest creepiest serial killer like apartment yeah well that i mean and your 40 cats need a place to sleep hey yeah i got a cat i got one did you really yeah yeah there was a a, a, a sale it's called cinco de gato in seattle and you get a cat for five dollars so my cat has uh, has just one eye too. oh what's his name blackbeard Pop Popeye, but good guess. Uh, I went, uh, I went, yeah, it's not just a clever name. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, oh, um, I, I thought you were going to make some joke about cat tacos. Like, hey, it's a, a cinco de gato, so you know, you just got to cook your cat into a taco. No, no, no. I'm off meat. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, so what? I mean, what about just? What if we just started calling the toes forward power athlete squat just the squat? Because that's part of the problem is like, you know, people don't, people don't associate it with well, an actual squat. So no, no it's, it's, it's the idea of labeling things. Yeah. Like, people, like people need labels and um, I, uh, it's, you know, like a, a really, really strange phenomenon. I mean, with everything, like people need so much to label themselves as something, uh, you know, that allows them to identify as a smaller group. Oh, I'm a low bar squatter. Oh, I'm a high bar squatter. And I'm like, dude, how about you just squat well? How about a good squatter? Because I've seen <laughs> a lot of people high bar poorly, and I've seen a lot of people low bar poorly, and I've seen people do both really, really well. Um, so I think it's not as much about bar position as it must is just about doing shit well. Yeah, and I think too. Sorry, go ahead, Tex. I'm just saying, with our setup, we have a set expectation of execution. So there is no kind of loose definition, low, high. What does that even mean, right? So with our uh, bar setup, we even tell you exactly where to go. So just above the base of the trap, uh, in line with that AC joint. So there is no uh, loss of setup, telling you exactly where to go. And that goes along with our foot position as well. We're not just toes forward and somebody's applying it to their uh, kind of heels underneath their hip squat or some power lifter who's going way, way outside. We tell you exactly where to go. We need your knee just inside your instep. 
So another landmark we can carry over to that high school volleyball girl that applies to the five, six power lifter, right? So that way we are getting toes forward. We allow them to get in a width and position. They can posteriorly dominate that squat and that has skill transfer over to the field. Yeah. And I think another point to, to remember is that although we do kind of treat this as like a very linear toes forward position, it's, it's, that's kind of lives on its own. So much of our other training is rotational. And I don't, I hope that like, I think a newer person might hear this and think, Oh, well then this is just going to be a linear everything. Like that's the concept and that's not the case at all. So this is just one tool um, in which, you know, we're, we're relying on, uh, that universal athletic position, which is toes forward, but that's in conjunction with like a complete program. But yeah. I mean, squats are sexy. We could sit here and talk for an hour about the step up, but our viewership would drop crazy. But, right. Cause how much can you lift uh, on a step up? Okay. Uh, you know what? I'd like to see people try to step up with uh, toes out. Oh God. Have you ever seen it? Uh, yes. Yeah. I've seen people try to step up with their toes out and you know what happens to the knee? It goes. Hey. Yeah. Like this. And it shoots in and it's called tibial torsion. And, oh. and you know what that causes? Fucking ACLs. Yeah. And, and, and I, I watched people the other day, I got tagged in a video uh, on Instagram and, um, or I can't, or maybe came across my feed and who, whoever the girl was training. Um, and there was a guy in the back doing step ups. That was by far the shittiest step up I've ever seen. You know, like knee in and then and then straight over. Uh, like just really... He was uh, he he was uh, uh, stepping up and he was doing safety bar step ups. He had like ten pounds on his side, so it's like eighty five pounds. And he was stepping up on a box so high that he couldn't actually extend his hip. So he was having to do the Nate Austin where you get to like a quarter squat and then you just kind of sneak the foot up in there. Yeah, and then you stand up and like uh, like that's like like. It's easier, John. No, but it, it's like the problem is, is that people don't have any practical application to things. Like they don't understand the carryover, so they don't – I mean, and I think if they understood the bigger picture of how these things fit into the grand scheme of things, they would understand that, you know, there's carryover. And, and I firmly believe, um, you know, Mike Boyle got really torched uh, talking about how – you know, uh, unilateral movements were more beneficial for athletes and the squat is dead. And in a lot of ways, he was kind of right. Um, if you look at a highly advanced athlete doing uh, more unilateral type movements, it's a benefit because one, how many times are you uh, ever in like, you know, uh, on two feet other than at the start of a play? So, so think about that. Like we start in a universal athletic position from the snap of the ball to the whistle. You're only on one leg the majority of the time. Yeah. So the idea is that, hey, if, if these athletes are on one leg the majority of the time, then we should start training them to be good on one leg with step-ups and lunges and Bulgarian split squats and other things. And also, he also saw uh, a ton of shoulder injuries and back injuries and just didn't want to cervically load their spines anymore. So he went to a more unilateral movement. He just made the mistake of being extremely fucking egregious and made a comp the squat is dead. Uh, you know. But if you look at high-level athletes, and I remember years ago – um, there was a, a, a deal that came out of Russia where um, Pisarenko and a lot of those guys had actually stopped squatting as much and started doing a lot of uh, um, step ups. And like uh, in the America, and this was like their deal. They were like, you know, we've been doing so much squatting with snatch clean and jerk. We're going to start doing more accessory work with step ups. And they put this out, and I think the Americans thought they were lying to them, or everybody thought it was just a hoax and a lie because what are you talking about? Was these guys squat all the time? 
But I, I always have known that, uh, you know, and I remember this comes back from my days of training with Roth and Roth, if we had him here, would agree with me. Uh, we used to see big, strong guys come to the gym and could squat five or 600 pounds. It couldn't do a body weight lunch. Yeah. That's what I was going to bring yeah. up is you can hide yeah. as strong, as talented as, and athletic as those guys are, but the lunge and the step up yeah. allow you as a coach to see this stuff. And that's how it plays out on the field is full. Yeah. Full effort, full, full speed. I remember when I first started training with Roth after I came back from my knee injury, um, you know, my squat, I was, you know, I got back squatting 500 pounds and, you know, came back from this patellar tendon, was having all these things. All of a sudden, we go into a workout and Roth had this gymnastics floor. It was like three or four inch gymnastics floor. And he blue mat. Yeah. The blue mat. Yeah. yeah still so he still got that. Yeah. So we had to do all of our body weight movements and all of our lunging and stepping and drunk steps and all this crazy shit. Uh, we had to do all that on his gymnastics, all that on that uh, blue floor. And I remember uh, walking over and him just being like, hey, we're going to do, I just want to do some bodyweight lunges, step through, high knee, toe, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, toe up, knee up, and I want you to drive through. And, you know, he goes through all the cues and, and all of a sudden I go to do it and I could not do a bodyweight lunge. And he was like, fuck. He's like, we just went over there and squatted pretty heavy. I mean, why can't you do it? And I'm like, I, I don't know. He's like, for a guy who plays his life on one leg, this is a real problem. So what did we do? We didn't squat nearly as much. Mm -hmm. You know what we did? We did a ton of, uh, uh, you know, banded resistant dumbbell overhead. I mean, we did a million different positions in terms of lunging. And it was something that when I went back to play in that third year after training with Roth, um, it was noticeably different. Like I literally was, uh, uh, you know, hadn't put a heavy one RM on the bar. Couldn't have told you what I squatted, but I got to the point where I couldn't do a bodyweight lunge. And now all of a sudden I could do, you know, lunges with, you know, 65, 70 pound dumbbells. And I could do all rocks, you know, trunk steps, crossovers, transverse rotations, all the, all these different squat complexes. And uh, I was a dramatically better player for it. Now was I a better player because there was something that I couldn't do and now I could do it. Did he assess some weakness within me? Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, but at the end of the day, I always had a pretty good squat. And there was a point where now all of a sudden you start getting this high-level tuning. Yeah. So the point we run into and where this is kind of getting long drawn out is, uh, you know, for an athlete that's learning just base level of strength, the bilateral hip hinge of squat is an incredible movement and really the foundation of the movement. But at some point, you have to be able to transition into a more balanced program that only taught, teaches somebody to step and to lunge well, the, the problem is people don't know how to implement that. And so what they're going to do is they're going to say everything's black and white to somebody who doesn't understand how to derive these different implementations and at what point in your training to do so, right? Because they're going to say, okay, well then, so lunging now instead of squatting? Well, no, 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 no. Exactly. Well, it's, but, yeah. it, together. So I ran into this problem at, at Texas and we talked about it in that they were forcing, I was in charge of the offensive line, they were forcing all these offensive linemen do the same weights across the board. So the freshmen that weren't ready to even load kind of over that bilateral, uh, I would just take them off to the side and then just, all right, just show me you can bodyweight lunch. And they would completely shudder and shut down, just dropping their knee towards the ground. And that position, you, they were suffering during the loaded squat, way too overloaded and then couldn't step into a lunge and just uh, open up their hips. Well, I, I remember when Todd Rice, um, Ironically, I always found the right person after an injury, but I had torn my ACL and I was coming back for, for my rehab. And I remember uh, Todd Rice comes in and, you know, I, I'd squatted like 600, you know, 610 as a you know, 19 year old. Now I'm 20 and torn ACL and I'm coming back. And um, Todd Rice goes, Hey, uh, I want you to do something for me. 
we're going to do just some basic isometric holds. So he, uh, he's like, Hey, I want you to lay down. And he had me lay down facing the opposite way on the bench. And he's like, I want you to put your knees here and, uh, I'm going to hold your ankles. And he basically put my, uh, toes into the ground, like on the bench and like my knees, uh, were on the bench, my hips just off. And my, you know, I was down in kind of a push up position, arched off the bench like this. Yeah. And all he wanted me to do was do a bridge, you know, yeah. like, a, like a DHD bridge extension. And he goes, I just want you to hold it for 10 seconds. And I was like, no problem. I couldn't hold that thing for five seconds. And he's like, how in the world do you think that I'm going to feel comfortable with you getting under any weight when you don't have just the basic stability and the iso, you know, the, the strength of an isometric move to just hold a, uh, you know, fucking hip extension, kind yeah, of just, just a GHD bridge. And, uh, but he like, got it. What? Yeah. He got it. He understood. Oh no, he, he understood it and he still understands it. I mean, he, uh, you know, the, he understood this shit 20 years ago for things that we're talking about now that people still don't get. Yeah. And it's the idea that, you know, you don't get somebody into an eccentric or concentric movement until they can actually show you stability in an isometric hold. That's why we do a ton of isometric holds, you know, reverse shrugs on just on a dip bar because uh, I got so tired of watching people do really shitty ring dips. It's like, you can't even jump up on a set of rings and show me a stable position. How in the world am I going to expect you to, to bend your elbows? And, um, you know, that was just something with that we've seen quite often. I mean, how many times have we watched somebody take the bar out of the rack and they can't even stand erect and in a good position with the bar? And now all of a sudden I want you to engage in, uh, you know, uh, shortening and, and lengthening of the muscle uh, with different contractions. So, um, and I remember uh, Todd just literally, uh, you know, and I don't know, I doubt anybody on this podcast, all four of you knows who Todd Rice is, but Todd was my strength coach at Berkeley and actually went on and it was pretty pretty prominent strength coach and uh, extremely influential in my life, but also, uh, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, uh, one of the biggest assholes <laughs> that I ever, you know, not only worked with, but coached me. Uh, he was um, extremely uh, sarcastic, uh, difficult, moody, a uh, very hard taskmaster to be, uh, to work with. But, uh, you know, all of those things, um, you know, are all just kind of, you know, for me, I could care less. I just want to be the best. And, uh, you know, while, you know, you take that stuff personally, you know, you get a little bit older and you realize a lot of that is probably just frustration. Um, because we see a lot of that frustration, Yeah, you know, like we've, you know, traveled and taught and worked and done this thing and fought so many different fights on this where it's like, dude, just trust me. You guys aren't seeing the whole picture. And the reason we've seen the whole picture is because not only have we, you know, used it at this level, gone back and forth and kind of really fought within this. But um, it's just, it, it seems just very, very basic to us. I mean, and you know, the people listening that have done the training, you know, just need to understand it the way we see it. Yeah. And just to add to how basic it is, there is a connection of execution between the squat, the lunge and the step up. And that's going to be posterior chain dominance. So using your hamstring, using your butt cheeks, being active with your foot with our squat we say grab the ground with your big toes that'll help turn on your your butt cheeks well we need that same ex uh, expectation of execution with the lunge and the step up and when we say knee on the instep for the squat we're looking for that in the lunge and the step up as well that'll help you actually use your hamstring and your glutes um, so for uh, this is what I learned kind of uh, working with Raf John and then observing some high level athletes fail in the weight room and then eventually the field comes season time. And there, there are four mechanisms uh, for ACL injury that we can almost hide with a back squat. 
then they allow us to kind of see them at full speed or under load with a lunge and a step up. Uh, first one's going to be ligament dominance. So anytime we're relying on internal or over relying on external rotation and our knee caves in or we over exaggerate driving our knees out. So you see this in a squat when uh, there's valgus knee. So those knees drive in and you kind of overload to the point where it uh, ruins the execution of the movement. Imagine that with a lunge or the step up. A second one is going to be quad dominance. You can see this in a squat when your knees really, if you're observing from the side, shoot in front of your toes and there's a very vertical torso to finish the squat. That's going to be quad dominance. And that's the last thing you want in terms of a lunge or a step up because for change of direction, your quads can't save you. Uh, next one, guys, is going to be trunk dominance. That's when uh, somebody folds underneath the back squat, their trunk was not strong enough. Well, uh, no matter how good foot position you have, if your trunk is all around like a slinky uh, or will fold come field time, then your foot position doesn't matter and you could risk injury down below. Uh, last but not least is going to be asymmetry. So with the squat, uh, like John talked about, he squatted heavy and then Raph asked him to lunge. He could hide the asymmetry, the imbalance. But the, the lunge and the step up allow us as a coach to see that stuff uh, at load. And remember that in the weight room, there's no way for us to overload to the point that the athlete will see on the field, but it'll allow us to, under a stress, see where they will fall to at the maximal load, and Tex, we can correct it. Tex, have you ever um, seen an athlete tear an ACL on a squat? Seen it? No, not in a squat, no. But you've heard of it? Oh, yeah. Heard of it during a squat? No, this is new to me. What, what, what is, uh, what is the, the thing that uh, McNiff suffered? He... Didn't he remember him? He blew out squatting heavy in DC. Yeah, both knees. Both yeah. knees at this, like the same time. And I, I don't know if it was now, ACL or – Now, like, what would be the mechanism? And I always think of this because I've heard this people tell me that they tore their ACL squatting. Well, I imagine and, if it's already sort of sheared, then – Well, right? it would have to be some form of violent tibial torsion. Yeah. So like knees fucking caving really hard. So, I mean, or – It would – ankles. Uh, yeah. Um, navicular drop well i mean we had matt vincent here uh matt had uh actually injured his knee squatting uh we had uh we had thrown some uh, ems on him and got his quads firing and everything was lit up he gets underneath the bar and feels real good and he kind of had a funky kind of squat position in that he uh he was driving his knees out his, his his feet were pretty narrow he was driving his knees out real hard and as he went down he kind of did this kind of weird kind of corkscrew thing where he kind of like drove his knee in and then tried to like, or actually his knees were in and he tried to drive them out real hard and then bring them back in. And it was this kind of weird deal where he kind of hurt a pop and ended up uh, uh, tearing his ACL and hurting it. And I, I watched this happen and I was like, I was like, that was the only, the only analogy I could think is it almost looked like uh, the technique I called it the corkscrew. Okay. So and, I, what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking is he misinterpreted your expectation of execution. When you said knees out, he rotated at his tib mm -hmm. and his fib versus externally rotating at his hips. Yeah. And this is what I'm, I guess I'm starting to see in terms of uh, at all these seminars is when we introduce the squat and the setup, we say grab the ground and externally rotate at your hips to fire your glutes. But... Uh, and then when we go to the action, I say knees out, but, uh, what I'm seeing is people again, 
just driving well, knees out without the glutes. Well, we teach the cue with the legs straight, which is it, right. is, is paramount. That if when, when right. we have people put their feet in the ground and I have them externally rotate from the hip and drive their legs out, try to rip out the sides of the shoe with straight leg, they all when we have them put their hands in their butts and they can do it and they can feel their glutes fire. Yes. The problem is is that they cannot carry that over from when all of a sudden they get into a bent knee position. All of a sudden what they do is they start driving out just at superficially at the knee instead of putting their foot in the ground and twerking out from the hip. So it's, uh, there is research on this, and I just heard Gal- Caldeet speak on this, is that when you grab the ground with your toe, that fires your glute, and yeah. your glute shuts off as soon as, as your, you toe your big toe leaves yeah. the ground. Now, now, that's not new. Years ago, they did a pretty extensive, um, you know, f- uh, I want to say not force plates, but they did, uh, um, you know, basically they hook you up and they can find out what muscles fire. Mm-hmm. And they found that athletes were 30% stronger when they had their big toe on the ground opposed to lifting their toe. I've seen so many athletes when we go see them squat, what are the, the first thing they do? They go toes out and they drive their knees out and they effectively roll on the outsides of their feet and they lift their big toe off of the ground. And I'm like, dude, you have to learn to be able to drive out and externally rotate from the hip while your feet is, is flat and you're actually driving your big or you're you know, curling your big toe into the ground. So do we just change that cue altogether now? Just say externally rotate at your hip? Well, I mean, uh, you know, there, there's not enough of a, like an emotional understanding of what well, that is. Well, it's it's like okay, so 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 Tex was on the road, um, and he was teaching the uh, the floor press, and they, they they put the video up on CrossFit.com, and uh, poor Tex got trolled by uh, a bunch of fucking guys whose like penises are shorter than an elevator door button. Um, and that's that's short. I know it's it's real short, but uh, a, a lot of these fucking dipshits. <laughs> trying to shit on uh, the floor press and what Tex was doing because it was on a CrossFit page and like, this guy doesn't know what he's fucking doing. But yet, I, my, my favorite part of the internet is uh, everybody wants to point out, but yet nobody offers any resolution or more importantly, hey, that fucking sucks, but he, but here's how he could have improved it. So they offer no uh, opportunity to really coach or learn or teach or try to expand anything. So I jumped on there and was like, dude, this is, first of all, you guys are fucking morons. And two, uh, it was actually really good for me because um, – I had to go back and evaluate the way I was having text teach that because uh, when you teach the floor press, where the bar lands is based off of, of the humoral, uh, the, the length of the humorous. And the guy that he had uh, uh, demoing for him had never floor pressed before. So the guy had kind of an abnormally long humoral head or uh, humoral uh, humorous. So when he brought the bar down uh, with that, you know, uh, one thumb off the smooth, narrower, close grip uh, for the floor press, the bar was like over his belly button. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, fuck, like in Texas teaching it exactly as I, I'd instructed him to teach it and he knows how to teach it. The problem is, is that uh, we have to be flexible enough when doing the floor press to all of a sudden realize that, um, that we need a landmark that actually between the xiphoid process and the nipples is where we need the bar to land. So with, with the vertical form, with the vertical form. So that's what I need. Now we, what we did is we changed it to a landmark. I need between the nipples and the xiphoid and the, the xiphoid process. So what are you going wider on the bar then, huh? So then you got to widen the grip. Yeah. So uh, you know we've always based it off of people that had you know like a, a kind of similar anthropometrical ratio of like you know a forearm to to humeral head, and so it always worked out fine with you know keeping the arms vertical forty five degrees. All of a sudden, he gets this one guy, um, and the guy demoing for him was like, uh, you know, obviously was outside of the bell curve of which we've normally seen. And so I'm looking at Tex, and I'm like, Tex, the guy's bringing the bar down over his belly button, which is an unnatural bench position. 
So, so the fix is we have to be able to spot that and be like, here's the deal. I need the bar to fall between the nipples and the xiphoid process, and I need a vertical forearm. However you get to that is going to be based up on your uh, uh, width on the bench press. And the guy who was um, uh, Chris Mason, uh, who, who jumped in there, who I know, uh, he posted a picture of Laura Phelps benching and was like, oh, this is great. Well, yeah, she was going into competition bench. I mean, her literally her, her pinkies were all out on the smooth. She had a super wide bench. She brought the bar in a great position and drove it back up. So going back and looking at that, I realized, like, we had to adjust. So, um, you know, this is just an instance where all of a sudden we're teaching something and, you know, we understand it in a way, but then all of a sudden it translates into something that we don't necessarily want to see. Yeah. So like, you know, like we've taught this cue, we've taught it this way for years. All of a sudden we go in and we have this one guy who's kind of an outlier, if you could say. And now I had to go back and kind of restructure the coaching cue and be like, hey, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to a landmark on basically on the bar position. We want vertical form. I want you to bring it down between this deal. How you get there is going to be adjusting your grip. Yeah. And, um, you know, sim- yeah. similar to the squat, if people are failing to understand that we need you to externally rotate from the hip, then either we have to find a different way to teach it or we have to make it much more meaningful by actually putting it in earlier in the sprint progression. So, like, um, you know, when we're doing some of the sprint stuff in the uh, – when we're going through our different warm-ups and we're doing, you know, arm swing, you know, the, the lunging, all the different positions, we almost have to – be able to start teaching it from jump street. Yeah. Well, it, well, another thing too, aside from all of like the mea culpa about like how techs taught the floor press or whatever the fuck. I mean, I, I think one of the things that we were addressing in the floor press is shoulder mechanics, shoulder position, scapular retraction. And a good way to illustrate that is by having someone to take it such a narrow grip because it really doesn't allow for the deviation from a good shoulder position. So, I mean, yeah. despite all that in terms of transfer and in terms of the emphasis part, one of the big emphasis is, is the fact that we're, we're training people good position and you would be surprised people don't understand. Yeah. On a, on a blog. Sure. You might be able to tear this apart if you have experience um, with, with horizontal pressing, but a lot of these people, this is sometimes the first time they've ever done a horizontal press because all they've known is vertical press. So there is, there's a whole nother reason why we even address that position. Well, that, and also we're also jumping in teaching these uh, a large group to actually floor press in a short amount of time. These aren't athletes that we've worked with day in and day out for years. Like we, right. uh, you know, those of you guys been in the seminar and, you know, Cali and Texas, especially, um, we have a, it's like, we got, a long <laughs> way to go. we got a short time to get there, you know, and it's like, it's fucking low hanging fruit. Yeah, Let's I do mean, this. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, and the reason that I switched to the floor press from the bench press was because the floor provided tactile cues that we right. had never seen before that we couldn't get done in the bench press. Right. For those very reasons, which I just said, like yeah, position we, and safety and all that stuff. So it's, there's, there's, it's several layers here and people, I think sometimes people much like anything that the, any video they see, they're t- they take things, you know, in and out of context because they don't oh, know. And that's fine. Well, so do we, so do we. I'll tell you what they did cut out was the, the piece that was talking about the transfer training of why we're going a narrow grip. Ah, uh, of course. The of bottom course. line is the external structure and that's bit, that's your setup. 
definition of external structure is set up. And the guy that chimed in with, I guess, the wide power lifter, if you step onto the field or any contact sport, well, you do that, you're you, fucked. That, guy, that, that guy's not stepping right. anywhere other than the fucking Krispy Kreme. All right. Don't <laughs> then he's trying to elbow people to get in line at Krispy Kreme so he yeah. can fucking hot dozen. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like, this, this is the problem. Uh, you know, the internet is a place where everybody's an expert. Oh, God, no. Uh, you know, if, here's, here's the fix for that. If I demoed and instructed, because my humoruses are about as long as those guys, those dicks. Again, I'm going to ask like some softball questions because I think it'll be valid for people. But like when you talk about incorporating unilateral stepping, lunging, all that stuff, do you guys have a preference? Let's say you're just starting to incorporate that stuff. Do you prefer barbell, dumbbell? Let's talk about loading uh, the spine versus the limitations of using, you know, handheld implements. Um, you know, the whole power athlete model is based on this idea of we know what the good movement is. We, we know what we're searching for. And once you can demonstrate good movement, then we use external resistance and external objects to challenge posture and position in those movement patterns. So if you can demonstrate a squat, great, awesome. Now we're going to put a barbell on your back and we're going to keep adding external resistance, external force, external weight. And we're going to start challenging posture position as you move through full range of motion. We're going to load it until it breaks down. And then mm -hmm. we're going to take a step back and we're going to build some preps. And we're going to build you up. Same with the, the lunge and the step up. We're going to ask somebody to do a lunge and a step up. And when they show us that they can do it, then we're going to add external resistance and start challenging posture position in those movements. And until it breaks down, then we're going to take a step back and we're going to do it again. So the idea that, uh, you know, one, you can make a mistake by loading too soon. And two, you can make an even bigger mistake by not loading enough. Yes. So don't go find your three RM step up. Is that what you're well, saying? Uh, well, we, we have people do that, but <laughs> after they have demonstrated, because your three RM step so up I've, might be a body weight step. I up. found a good approach that I, I think is well understood to coaches is you find the boiling point. So we're overloading, but not the breaking point. As soon as you lose posture and position. That is some real, that's some real strength coach shit right there, boy. John, I've been doing this a long time. You know, I used to always say, take it, to, take it to the edge and back, but not to the point of no return. Uh, I feel like those are two movies, probably. I feel like you, you just did. Oh, and, and here's another interesting one, Callie, you'll appreciate. So uh, uh -huh. uh, I had some, or we have uh, a TV monitors in, in, in our, uh, uh, my wife's Suburban now, so I, I got her a new Ooh. And my, my whole reason for buying this was that I wanted to have some fold-down screens so that my kids can sit in the back and watch movies. And uh, so I realized... Is this just lifting videos? or It's just... It like um, we, just watched, we just watched the Teddy Bruch movie over and over again. And, uh, <laughs> it's 30 for 30s, just like ongoing. Well, well the thing is, is, I, is, this is the sad part, is uh, we like are packing up the car, all this, and I'm like excited, and I take a look, and I'm like, ooh, it takes DVDs. Uh, I go in the house, uh, I have no DVDs because I watch everything. Game film? On our field. No, I actually had <laughs> one box set of DVDs. Well, that backfired. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. No. Yes. The Star Wars. Oh! <laughs> so it was Star Wars. And I don't, I, I, I have a feeling that either Nate brought it over or somehow Nate gave it to me. But I had the Star Wars box set of, of all the movies uh, up to uh, Return of the Jedi. Okay. And so we get in the car and I throw in the very first one and I watch my kids in the back with their headsets like this. Just in awe. We watched uh, the whole uh, six movies 
Nice. Probably four or five times. And the kids, by far favorite scene in all of the movies was one uh, Return of the Jedi when the abominable snowman uh, takes Luke at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one was in the, uh, I think it's Revenge of the Sith, where Yoda ends up like being like the master swordsman and like kicking everybody's ass at the end. Yeah. I've never in my, in my life heard my kids laugh and yell and clap and scream. Like that was their favorite part was watching Yoda kick ass. So they like the abominable snowman and Yoda. Clones. Was it Attack of the Clones? I think so, when he just went ham. Yeah, when, when like, yeah, they, like, they, they send Yoda out to, like, find uh, whatever, like, the weird robot guy. Um, uh, and, dude, my kids love watching Yoda kick ass. Yoda's by far uh, Yoda and uh, Chewbacca are their favorite characters. So they, they love Yoda and Chewbacca. Yay. Isn't that the craziest thing? And then, uh, of course, I, I laughed where uh, uh, Jamie is uh, a big fan of Darth Vader. Oh, so oh, cool. see that now we're kindred spirits. So yeah, so she's like, "Oh, Darth Vader is the best," and I was like, he "Really? <laughs> yes, he is." He's like, "Thought Darth Vader was the best." So, so they're like Yoda, Darth Vader, and Wookie. Uh, they did not like Jaja Binks at all. Good, they have great taste. Uh, they didn't like Jaja Binks, and who else? They didn't like. Um, oh, they like Han Solo better than Luke Skywalker. Yes, they're, they're, yes, it's spicy. It was pretty funny. I asked them, and they were like, oh, Han Solo is so funny. So <laughs> they, which is funny for four. So so getting the reaction to Star Wars for four-year-olds that had never seen it was hysterical. Should have got it on film. You'd be a YouTube sensation. Well, I'm, I'm driving. So, so so mind you that uh, I don't get to watch the movies. So I'm driving just like listening to uh, like, like, you know, the screens are down. I can't see it, but I can hear it. So yeah. I'm driving, listening to these movies, and I'm seeing these fucking monkeys in the back with headsets like like I could throw fucking food in their mouth like, oh, and they're like clapping and screaming at the movie and I'm like oh my god you guys are the worst that's oh, great to movie theater with these kids but that's, that's all we got that's so great so yeah we watched the Star Wars dude they were in they were so excited about it it's uh I, I, I thought that maybe it was a little too violent for four year olds but um they really didn't think so they thought it was hysterical when uh uh Atticus Skywalker, I don't know if you remember. Kill all those kids? No. Oh, you mean the sand people? The oh. new one? Oh. Kill a bunch of Jedi kids in, like, the third one. When uh, like, I didn't like, watch those. I don't know. When is, uh, he just switched evil. No, well, there's a scene at the beginning where they go, and it's like they, they got to rescue Senator Palpatine, and, like, they, they go find, like, the Kudu guy or whatever, and he, like, he, like goes like this, and he like, cuts both dudes' hands off, and he takes both swords and cuts his head off. They thought that was the funniest shit they'd ever seen. Oh, my God. They're like, he cut his hands off. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> laughing in the face of death. Yeah, his dad's screwing along at like 90 miles an hour. Fucking on a road trip. Yeah. We're going to have some fun, goddammit. Yeah, you have, to, you have to distract them from the most terrifying driving experience of their entire life. Uh, actually, my daughters um, are, you know, used to not only the the speed at which I drive. But, uh, oh, you mean light speed? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now they get it. They um, I'll be like, buckle up. I feel like Han Solo every time we get in the car, I'm like... Fucking Millennium Captain Falcon. like the Millennium Falcon. Like, I feel like Han Solo is like, you know what? You, you know where they won't follow us? The asteroid field. And they're like, oh. He's, that's how I drive. Also known as the shoulder of the road. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you can get a 10,000-pound van to drift, <laughs> all that matters. Kelly's like, I've never actually seen a van on two wheels before. I'm like, mm, you have now. Uh, yep. That's uh, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Any, have we beat the squat horse to death? 
for now. Until, how do you yeah. squat? Hey, until how do you squat toes forward? If, like, imagine you were in uh, some sort of terrible, we'll say, tractor accident, and you have no toes. How well, do you squat toes forward? <laughs> well, think about this. All right. So, what if you can't squat toes forward? What type of creatine should you take? <laughs> oh, good question. Good question. <laughs> because we get questions like this all the time. It's like, well, well. <laughs> What if I don't have a barbell? What if I don't have weights? And what if I don't have a squat rack? Right. What's how uh, many fish oils? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> should, should I take six grams of fish oil? And I'll ask like, <laughs> questions. Is there, is there anything you guys want to conclude with? And then we can just chat because I have a few questions for y'all. Yeah. Uh, just, um, yeah. Um, uh, you know, just, yeah. Just so, summer, summer circuit. I guess if you want to really learn and experience toes forward with the best coaches in the business, the CrossFit Football Seminar Summer Circuit. Yeah, this doesn't sound as sexy as the Sorenex, what is it? Summer. So strong. I thought it was the Summer Slam. Well, that's, be, no, that's what we're teaching. Oh. Can, can we just call this, uh, I think we should just call it like MTV Spring Break presented by CrossFit Football. <laughs> and we just go to Daytona Beach and teach people how to squat. And act like it's 1998. <laughs> like, like, well, actually, I'd like to go farther back. I, I just want to have the spring break like they always portrayed in Revenge of the Nerds. Singled out. <laughs> like, you remember Revenge of the Nerds, Nerds in Paradise? I want to go to that fucking Alpha Beta, those parties. I've never had a spring break. It's always lacrosse season. Dude, so. I went on spring break by accident once when I was like 25 years old. Tex, you wouldn't know what to right. do with a spring break. So, you would go see Raph. So yeah, I want like, to get a week off. I'm gonna go visit Ref. I was yeah. like, I was like 25 years old, and uh, I think I was like my second or third year in the NFL. And my buddy's like, "Hey, I got this house in Ormond Beach or like Desmond Beach or Pan- somewhere Panama City up like in the Panhandle." And I was living in uh, Tampa, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to come hang out for the weekend?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, fucking cool." So uh, we head over, and come to find out, and I, you know, like I, I had never been on spring break because it was always during uh, uh, spring football. So like I didn't put two and two together and I'm like driving in and I'm like looking at like this like a bunch of gas station and there's all these like fucking kids and pickup trucks and all this shit. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on right here? Is this like a college week or something? And so we college week. Well, I don't fucking know. And uh, so like we pull in and my buddy's got this house on the beach and we rented it up and like we're like in there and like it's right next door to this fucking hotel where they got like 20 bunk beds in a room and these kids. And like, he's like, uh, I think this is spring break. I'm like, really? And sure enough, we went out to the fucking bars and, uh, it was hilarious because all the bars were 18 and over. Nice. And like, they're like one kid had an ID and we're like in there and we're like, you know, it's like dollar drinks. Everybody's trying to shuttle like bucks. And my buddy just like throws like $500 at the bar and it's like, everybody drink. <laughs> and, uh, we were like, guts. So it was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty good. We had a good time. Um, so that was my spring break, dude. I was too, uh, way too old to have a good time. That's the life. That's the it life. Because even though 25 sounds pretty young to me, 25 on spring break was way too fucking old. I have a spring break about every three weeks. So <laughs> I try to. The problem is, is uh, nobody knows about it but you. Like, Callie just shows up somewhere like, spring break? That's it. Yeah. They're like... It's, it's December in Vancouver, spring break. They're like, what's the deal with the hookah beads? <laughs> this is in 1995. Hookah beads? <laughs> like, like puka shell necklace? Yeah. But that's that alpha. You step into a room wearing a Hawaiian skirt, it's always spring break. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. All right. That's it. All right. What question? That's it. 
Uh, is it text? Can we stop recording? And does it matter? Is uh, it just... Do we have to have like a, a bye thing? Bye. Oh uh, yeah. All right. Bye. <laughs> can we get some bye harmony? Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Want to learn more about the hows and whys of posture and position? Head to www.crossfitfootball.com backslash events to sign up for a seminar. When I tell you that you'll get far more than you bargained for, I mean it. Just check out the testimonials on our site for yourself. We welcome the questions and the controversy at every seminar, so battle the bullshit in person with Power Athlete HQ. Until next time, bye!